What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. Good morning, Park Church. Can I just tell you guys how nervous I was to get up here and say, good morning, Grace City? I was like, I'm going to do it. And then, no, I didn't. So thanks be to God, right, for, for helping us to remember things. Um, I would just be so thrilled for my brothers and sisters in Christ to listen to the word of the Lord this morning. So I'm going to be reading Romans 12, 1 through 2. Please feel free to join. Uh, grab your, your phones or your Bibles, whatever you read your scripture on. After I read, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you, after I read, would then respond, thanks be to God. So again, Romans 12, 1 and 2, this passage is all about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to our great God whom we just sang about. Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sister, for reading that. I appreciate that. Well, good morning, family. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, For those who are new or joining us online, my name is Miguel Warren. I am one of the congregational pastors down here with with my brother, Pastor Matt, and uh, we're glad that you are worshiping with us. Um, What I would like to do is, man, we're going to dig right in. We're going to sit at the feet of Jesus, and I would ask that you would pray for myself, and I will pray for you, and We all petition to the Father and sit at his feet to hear what uh, he has to say to us today when it comes to worship. Um, So let's go before the Lord um, in prayer. Father God, you are good, you are great, you are holy. And I'm reminded that one day, no matter how hard it gets, you will return and set all things right. So, Father, until that moment happens, I pray, Father, that you, that you flood this place, that you flood the homes with your Holy Spirit right now in such a way that the way that is so palatable that we can feel it as we engage in this moment. The same way we feel the snowflakes and the cold breeze hit our body is the way that we know that you're present and with us. So, Father, help our hearts to hear from you, to, to, to see what you have to say to us, Lord. I pray that your word will bring life, that it will bring life from dead places, that it will reorient, that it will rebuke, that it will correct, Father, in such a way that we would... Uh, reorient all things towards you. So, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together said, amen. Amen. 
John chapter 4, verse 24, excuse me, 23, and it reads, but the, uh, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking, this is God's word, he's seeking such people to worship him. Family, Jesus wants people to worship him. And the Father, our God, is on a hunt, on a hunt to pursue those who want to worship him and who will worship him spiritually, get this, through Jesus Christ, on the basis on his, on the base of the truth of his word. When we talk about worship, it is bigger than just singing praises. It actually encompasses our whole life, all that we do. Everywhere our feet takes us, we worship. It's important to understand that worship uh, isn't about giving something to God. Hear me now. It's not about giving something to God. It is about being in awe of what God has given to you, to us, which is himself. But if we're honest, when, when we do not give all of ourselves, hear me now, when we don't give all of ourselves to God and get this not, and submit to his authority, the sinful nature of humanity will create little gods, we will create idols as the source of life and joy. And my purpose for preaching this passage to you today, it is to remind some, remind us all, whether you're a believer or not, because we need reminding. And for those who don't know who Jesus is, this is to draw you in, to remind us and to show us that we do not need to turn to the lifeless idols of this world as, as a source of life and joy, because God is the true and only source of life and joy. We are in our series here. We're talking about who are we? And Pastor Matt preached last week on, on grace, God's grace. And part church exists. We exist for the glory. We exist to make disciples for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And in there, we then break down what is a disciple, and we define a disciple as someone who has been made alive, who has been reconciled to God, to the God of grace, Pastor Matt preached on that, and we're learning to follow Jesus in the rhythm of worship, community, and mission. And today, we're going to talk about worship. Worship as who we are, as disciples of Jesus. And really, in its simplest way, worship, as we define it, is a disciple that turns from idols to God as the fountain, as the source of life and joy. That's what we can say what worship is in its simplest forms. We can unpack it in a lot of different ways, but we're turning from idols, we engage with the idols. The things that we had before we met Jesus, and now we've had an encounter with Jesus, and therefore we turn to God for our source, who is the fountain of life. 
And here's the truth, family. We're all made to worship. So it's inevitable. You can't dodge it. You cannot not worship, right? Even people, get this, even people who are atheists, people don't believe in God, guess what? We all are worship. You know why? Because humanity were created in the image of God. And therefore, we were designed to be in commune with God, but then the fall happened. We're going to get there. So hear me now. No matter what you want, even if you're not thinking about it or saying, okay, I'm worship, I'm singing, I'm praising, where our feet takes us, we worship. Worship here, the word in there, worth, it is to give an attribute, a, a, to give a tribute worth to something or someone. A more formal way to say is that it is the organization, it's organized, organization and orientation of our life around, here it is, what we love and value most. Everybody got something they love and value, no matter how small it is. But you know, I love how um, David Foster Wallace captioned this. He says it in this way. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worship. The only choice we get is what to worship. So let me ask you this question. What do you worship? What do you worship? And, and to help you understand that question and follow it, what, what does the rhythms of your life look like? What are the pursuits that you engage in day to day look like? Even if you don't go anywhere, hear me now, we spent most of our time in 2020 last year in the home, but there is a phone that we have, a device that can lead us all different paths. So it don't, don't think that just because we don't leave the four walls of our home that we're not engaging in worship. That's not true. What does the rhythms of your life look like? What do you spend your time doing? What do you run to when times are hard and troublesome, when you're frustrated, when you're irritated? Or what do you run to when things is good? Maybe we abandon God, right? While in the wilderness, while in troubled times, while in good times, what do you go to for the source of life? And hear me, this isn't just a Mickey Mouse question. This is actual question because we worship and we engage, we are engaging in this life and there is a life to come after here, people. Contrary to what anybody believes. So what we do here on earth has implications for eternity. So when we talk about this idea of worship, the truth is we have misdirect misdirect worship, right? And the reason why our worship is misdirected is because sin entered into the world. And it all started back in the garden when they had everything that they had. But because they believed the lies and the deception of Satan, therefore, they disobeyed God, sin broke in, and at that moment, for every single person born on this earth has misdirected worship because of sin. This misdirected worship leads us to worshiping idols here. 
Now, hear me, we're going to shout later on, but we got to set this up right now. When you think about idols that are disoriented to our worship, right? Idols disorient our worship because sin has misdirected our worship. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hear me now, all have sinned. I don't care if you read your Bible every day for the last 365 days. In the prayer room, throwing up frontline prayers, you name it, that's beautiful. But we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning we have fallen short. We have missed the mark. We've missed the mark here. And God talks about this even throughout the Bible, how his people constantly miss the mark. They're turning away from him, but they're turning to other gods as sources of life. Because it's easy for us to look at Adam and Eve and say, how dare they? But oh, how hard is it for us to look in the mirror and examine what we pursue relentlessly when Christ is not center of our life. Timmy Key, the godfather in our, in, our, in our circles, Tim Keller, defines idolatry this way. He says, anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart, imagination more than God, anything you seek to, uh, to give you what only God can give. It is very clear. God is very clear that he is the only one to be worshiped. So clear that when he led the people out of Israel, after they've been in bondage for so many years, you go to Exodus in chapter 20, verse 3, and he says, do not. He's very clear. There ain't nothing. You, Greek, Hebrew, whatever you want to look at it, it's very clear. Do not have other gods besides me. I don't know about you, but have you ever encountered, when I was younger, my parents used to tell us before we do something, and they will repeat it. And at the end of what they're saying not do, they say, do I make myself clear? See, because they, want, they say that because they want you to know that what they just said is not, a, it's not an option. It's not a, it's not a I can choose to, to do it. But the, under that is saying, hey, you better do exactly what I just told you. And get this, as fallen as our parents are that tells us, say, do we make ourselves clear? We have a God who is good, who is holy, who is perfect in all his ways. And if he says, do not worship any other gods besides me, family, I believe we should take heed to that. He is all-knowing, and I think he knows best. But regardless of our age, we act like teenagers, right? We think we know it all. We try to toe that line. We try to get as close as we can. Hear me now, just to make this, just to drive this point home. Athletes or songwriters, when they are engaging into a company or a football team or a sports team, whether baseball, softball, you name it, they go under a contract. They sign a contract with that team, with that label. And in there is a binding agreement, meaning that label essentially here is like they own you. You belong to this label. You belong to this team. And in the event you do things that breaches the contract, 
even so much, it will terminate that contract and or actually have to forfeit and give that money back. Here's what I'm saying is that God has entered a covenant with us, right? And that his covenant is very clear. Get this. It was clear in the Old Testament when he was established with Israel that there should not be any other gods before me. And then it continued in the New Testament as Jesus came to fulfill all of the law. He says, I did not come to abolish it all, but I come to fulfill it. Therefore, the covenant still exists. It never went away. And therefore, we are legally bound to get this for eternity. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are in a covenant relationship with the God of this world, and therefore, you are not to worship anything as a source of life but Him. But unlike these organizations that will cut people the moment when they get hurt or the moment their record doesn't hit so many sales because they're looking for the next big thing, we have a God that doesn't cut you off. If anything, He extends and pursues you. So even if you've had a bad day, a bad year, bad years or month, yet God is not saying, get away with me. But yet he invites us constantly. And the Bible says that those who draw near to God, he will draw near to you now. Now hear me, we won't get to Romans because in Romans chapter 1, when they knew God and they did not want, and they, just, they chose to not turn to him as a the truth, then God will give you over to your idols. Make no mistake about that. Because our God is jealous. Our God wants us. But here's what's fascinating. You say, well, here, here's the thing. How do we get there? How do we get to the point to where if we know God is so good, God is so awesome, and he's magnificent, and he's wonderful, he's a saving God, and, and, and he owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. We, how do we get to the point to where we know how good he is, but yet we turn Titles. We turn to things for sources of life. Well, it's funny. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses is up on the mountain. He's up there for 40 days, 40 nights, right? He's getting the tablet. He's getting the covenant. And the people of Israel, are, the people are down at the bottom of the mountain. But what's fascinating is that when you look at the text, and we all know, right, they created the golden calf. But leading up to there, they, I believe, which affected them and it affects us, the reason why we turn away from it is simply this. It says in Exodus chapter 32 in verse 1, it says, When the people saw Moses delayed, they saw him delayed. He was taking too long according to their time. Fascinating. They just spent years, 100 years in captivity under bondage. Under oppression, and Moses has gone home for 40 days, and they said, hey, Moses, uh, you're taking too long, homie. We got we to gotta get our worship on, so, so we're about to create some things here. It is the delayed here. They become impatient. They don't want to wait for God and what he's doing. Oh, and how often times do we go and worship things and go to things that are the source of life all because we're impatient with what God is doing? We know that he's good. We know that he is, but we get so restless. Because as we're going to see in Romans chapter 12, we do conform to the world. We become microwave Christians. We want it right now. Hot pocket, two minutes. Matter of fact, let me get a minute and 30 seconds. I need to eat it right now. 
But yet it's something about when it's slow cooked. Let me stop. I'm not going to go there. I'm hungry. That's why you can tell I'm hungry. I'm hungry. But it's the delays. We become impatient. But then later in Exodus chapter 32, as it says that Moses delayed, then the people says, then it says that the people gathered together to Aaron. What does that mean? We go solicit help to help people engage our idols. It's very subtle. And you know what I mean? Sometimes we call or we go and interact with specific people that we know won't challenge us and point us back to God, but yet enable us, encourage us to keep going where we want to go. Let's not act like we don't know that. We know a couple people that we can call when we want to do something. We need somebody on our side. We can go solicit some help to get some encouragement. We do those things just as our brothers and sisters did back then. Hear me, when we become restless with sin, our hearts turn to idols. When we become restless, excuse me, when we become restless, the sin in our hearts will turn to idols. The sin in our hearts turns to idols. So let me ask you a question What do you worship? What do you worship? What do you run to? Hmm? Here's what's fascinating. Running to idols is evil. We don't like to talk that way, but it's evil. Because it exchanges, it's exchanging God, right? We're giving up the, the, the true source of life, and yet we're running to these empty, hollow, lifeless idols that can't give us life. And it's evil because the presence of this age is evil. It's fleeting. And hear me now. Let me make this very clear. Let me back up. I am not saying that there are not good things to enjoy here on earth. I think that's important to say. Let me, let me, let me, make, that, let me make this clear. When, when God created the earth, and you look back in Genesis, everything was good. Sin has distorted everything, not just humanity, but all of creation. The earth is groaning to be back, uh, to be back in full uh, um, um, recon- uh, reconciliation with God, waiting for the consummation to happen. Hear me now. So I'm not saying that we cannot enjoy the things that God has put before us. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy your TV or enjoy your show or enjoy whatever it is that you want to do and actually like your job and enjoy the job that you do, the work that you do. That's not what I'm saying. The problem is when it shifts. The problem becomes when you make it the source of your life, when it becomes the number one priority of your life. Whether that is family, whether that is kids, or even marriage, whatever the case may be, you can make your singleness an idol. You can make your marriage, you name it. So when it becomes and it shifts and you make it the source of life instead of worshiping and focus on the one who is the creator who gives life to the things that we enjoy, that's when it becomes a problem here. We run to idols. What are the idols you run to? What are they you run to? We're looking for security. We're looking for glory. We're looking for comfort, pleasure, rest, acceptance, money, power, you name it. In the end, these idols don't provide any true life. True life. True meaning for life. 
Because all things need to be found in God. Hear me now. Hear me now. It's very important to know that. I'm not diminishing. We, don't, we should be wanting to be accepted. We, there, there's, a, there's a part of wanting to be accepted. We, there, there, I'm not saying that this wrong. There's not a problem with having money, right? There's not a problem to have certain positions or powers that we have. The problem is that we need to steward it and realize that it is God who has given it to us. And how do we steward for his glory and for his kingdom instead of our own personal kingdom that we're trying to build? Hear me now. This is not a condemning thing. Many people come to Colorado for the life. The mountains, the restaurants, the breweries, you name it. It is something about in the waters. I'm going to be honest, family. It's amazing. I came from Kansas City. Hey, y'all got me. I'm here. I tell everybody in Kansas City, Denver would never do this to us. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm with you. But... But hear me though, we come thinking that's going to give us life. We, we move, and I'm not condemning this, but here's how subtle this is. We move to state to state because, and hear me now, this is very important. We should have jobs because we should work. But we're making that our driving seat on how we live our life. We go chase the money. We go chase the next position. We're trying to advance here. And, and, and hear me, it's so subtle, family. We got to be careful here. So I'm not condemning that we should advance or you shouldn't move forward. But here, what if God never gave you any more advancement in your life? How would you respond? He is still good. He's still faithful. I felt it right now. The moment when I said, what if God never advanced any, more, any of us anymore in any of our position or never elevated our money status anymore? I felt it. It was like, mmm. Mm, you didn't like that, but that's real because there's something there in us that tug it. That's the sinfulness that wants to, that, that we want that more, but we have to have a, a proper view of these things here. Y'all with me? All right, let's move on. All right, let's get ready to shout. Let's get ready to shout. Here we go. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We talk, so far, we talked about what worship is and how sin misdirects our worship and how idols, how it points us to idols and idols disorient our worship. But now we're going to see here how Jesus comes to reorient our hearts, right? He reorients our heart. And we see this in the first few verses in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Let's pause right there. When he says, I appeal to you, therefore, what he is referring to is the first 11 chapters that he has already got up until this point. So from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11 to this very point, what he is therefore saying is that we are to give ourselves entirely to God, get this, not idols, because of his saving grace to Jesus Christ, who ultimately came to reconcile us to the life giver himself. That's why he says, I appeal to you. Therefore, now that you've, we've already talked about the justification by faith, that we're saved by faith, that we're saved through Christ alone, through his saving grace, get this, by the mercies of God now, by the mercies of God, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship.
Understand, God created a good world. And when this world was good, because everything God says, in the, and he created day one, and it was good. It was great. But then sin entered in, and it distorted everything, and it jacked everything up. But when you think about the redemption story, when you think about the narrative from Genesis to Revelation, God is constantly on a pursuit to redeem his creation and his people back to him. That is by the mercies of God, family. He didn't have to do that. But he did. Mercy in its simplest form is not giving us what we truly deserve. I have a son, and he says it all the time. He's like, Dad, can you just give me grace? He knows he's in trouble. He knows it. But I do the same thing with God. When I mess up, when I'm doing something, and I'm feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit, then I sit here and I go, God, give me grace. If, we've all prayed it, right? If you just get me out of this one more time, I would never do this again. Or whatever the case may be. It is by his mercies, family. He didn't have to, but he did. Get this, not by your status, not by your wealth, not by your political position, not by your stance on homeschooling or public school or private schools, you name it. Not by the fact that you became the youngest person in your company, whatever the case may be. No, by the mercies of God. 1 Peter chapter 3 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once. Oh, this is so good. Once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. When Jesus walked up to that cross and he was hanging there and he was being mocked, first of all, got beat like nobody's ever been beat before, then goes up to the cross getting mocked on, spit on, get this, and, and, and being taunted, and at, they say, come down from the cross if you are the God, if you, if you truly are the Messiah. Oh, he could. There, I, I got conflicting emotions sometimes because a part of me, when I read that story and I read that, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish he would have just came down and just shown what time it was. But then when I think about that and I go, well, don't do that. I'm glad you didn't do that because I kind of do, I do the same thing to you, what they did to you. It may look different, but I mock you, I make fun of you, I demise you, I get impatient because you're not moving as fast as I want you to. So I'm like, I'm kind of glad that he stayed up there on that cross, that he took your sins and my sins and he got nailed to there. Think about it, all the sins that you've done up until this point, all the sins that you will do if you live for years to come. God, Jesus stood on that cross and endured that for you and I. By the mercies of God, why would we not want to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him? Now, here we go, living sacrifice. It says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Now we're about to start teaching a little bit here. So Paul uses this sacrificial terminology to emphasize the depth of the commitment that should, allow, uh, that should follow on God's gracious act of justification, us being saved by grace alone through Jesus Christ. He's using this terminology so that people can understand. And when it says your bodies, it's talking about your totality, not just part of it, right? Not just some of it, but all of your being needs to be presented to God, right? It's not like, it's like we, we, we try to do like the little kid, right? We, try to, we, we hold this behind our back and we try to give this to God because we want this. Or a better yet analogy is that what happens is that we say, God, you can come into our house, 
but yet we don't allow him to come into our closet. We want to confine him to certain parts of our lives or our house. No, we need to give all of our being to him, all that there is to him because of what he has done. Get this. It's the difference between a chicken and a pig with a breakfast sandwich. You're like, what? The chicken just gives an egg, but the pig got to die. You can, you, the pig can't just live if you want some bacon. The whole pig got to go. The chickens just get one little egg. You see what I'm saying? God wants all of who we are. And that's what he's saying, your whole body, your whole being. And he says a living sacrifice. And here, this translation, what it really means is that to put at God's disposal. Woo. To put at his disposal. Take all of your totality all of your being, all of who we are, and put it at God's disposal. Put it together, essentially what it's saying, that everything we are, our totality, needs to be at God's disposal. Has to be. It's scary because we want to control. We don't like to not know where we're going. We don't like to know what's not ahead. But yet we have to remember he is good. And when things are bleak and when things are hard, what gets us through the times is the remembering the character of God and who he has done and, and what he has done. That's what we got to remember because it's scary, family. I'm not going to sit up here and act like this is all like beautiful thing and it's good. No, it's hard to let go of the steering wheel of your life, hear me now, to put it at the disposal of God. We got to remember his character, who he is. We will be good here. But here's now, so you take your whole body, you give it at God's disposal, right, as a living sacrifice that's wholly acceptable. Hear me now, when you put it at God's disposal, it will be acceptable. Because again, we are covered with the blood of Jesus by, what he, by putting our hope and faith in him because what Jesus has done on the cross. And so therefore, we are declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, when we give all that we have and we put it at his disposal, it will be acceptable, acceptable to him. And then it goes on to say, and then it says, which is your spiritual worship? The King James Version talks about reasonable service. Hear me now, when we talk about uh, spiritual worship, really that word spiritual is a thoughtfulness, a thoughtfulness, a reasonableness here. Get this. In the worship, it can be translated to service and or worship to God. So we need to therefore, get this now. The idea is that we ought to thoughtfully worship God, the one true God, with our whole being because of his mercies here. It ought to be reasonable. And it's a service unto him. Let's not be, have, you ever, have you ever wanted something bad enough you pursued this relentlessly? You were very thoughtful. You were very strategic. You were like, you, you knew what positions to make to get what you want. You knew what, what time to leave, what people to call you, whatever the case may be. And I'm not just talking about something bad. I'm just saying when you want something, we position ourselves to go get it. We're thoughtful about it. The same here goes to God. I love what this one theologian says that encapsulates this. It's kind of thought for us here. This one theologian says this. Um, he says, the, in, the intellect understanding of worship, that is, the worship which is consonant with the truth of the gospel, is indeed nothing less than offering of one's whole life in the course of one's concrete living, in one's inward thoughts, 
feelings and aspirations, but also in one's word and deeds. True worship is offering ourselves to God as a reasonable service, a sacrifice unto him. And so verse 1 talks about how we do that because of God's mercy. So verse 2 is going to speak to the two ongoing activities to carry out this living sacrifice. So when you look at verse 2, and it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern that which is the will of God, what is good and acceptable here. Understand at the heart of what, he's getting, what Paul is getting at in verse 2. It is this. When it comes to transformation, it is not a change effect from without. It is a radical reorientation of that, uh, uh, is a re- reorientation that begins deep within the human heart. We're going to see this here. He says, do not be conformed. Pretty saying, in summaries, he's saying, don't conform to the schemes of this evil world. Just because this world is passing, it's fleeting, don't be conformed to it, right? Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 4, he talks about how this present age is evil. Believers are no longer to give themselves to those things. In that civil itself, don't be conformed, the negative part, don't do that. Don't give yourself uh, to this world because what you give yourself to, what you conform to, it's going to change and reorient your life. So he says, don't be conformed. He gives you the negative right here. Don't be conformed to the world. But then he gives you two pos- he gives you positive here. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform, this word, like metamorphosis. It's the idea, it's changing from one form to another, right? Like a caterpillar that goes to a butterfly. But it's richer than that, though. It's richer and it's deeper than that. Hear me now, I about shout. This wrecked my world when I was watching this, when I was studying this here. It's the, the same word is used in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, when Jesus took Matthew, uh, uh, Peter, James, and John to the Mount Transfiguration, right? When they got to see, he unveiled himself, and they saw he transformed, he transfigured, and they saw him glory. It was so good that they said, yo, we need to just stay right here. That's the type of transformation, the transfiguration that's happening. We will experience such transfiguration in Christ. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory and being transformed, the same word, into his likeness with forever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This be transformed, get this now, this is exciting here. It is in a passive imperative language, meaning someone is doing the transformation, not you. Someone's doing the transformation. And that someone is the Holy Spirit. When you submit yourself under the hand of God and submit to his authority, it is he who brings about the transformation. Because let's be honest, what God calls us to is very difficult at times. But submitting to the Holy Spirit, it is all possible. Because Jesus told his, his disciples what? With, with man, it is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. So we have this passive language, this passive imperative to be transformed. But then in the same way with the be transformed, it is a present tense here now. Follow me. What we mean is that it is a progressive, it is a gradual transformation that is taking place. 
So when you submit yourself under the Holy Spirit, under the hand rule of God in your life, therefore you, God will progressively change you day by day to move towards his glory. But you have to be willing to sit under his authority and submit to who he is. When you remove yourself from under his authority, it is then we become restless and we turn our hearts to idols and other things for the source of life. And that's not what God is saying. But I'm so glad that we have to submit ourselves, but he enables us to do the work through the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand, to renew your mind is, a, is concerned with the issues of life that are, uh, is not being concerned with the issues of life that are fleeting right now. Hear me now. But what happens is that your mind then becomes that of Christ, right? Because then it goes on to saying, what is the will of God? It goes after when it says, be renewed, be, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing, you may discern, get this, what the will of God is. Let me ask you a question. What do you set your mind on? What do you set your mind on? What do you constantly think about? What do you, and what you constantly think about, what you constantly set your mind on, it does shape how you live here on earth. It does shape on how often you're turning to the idols or are you turning to the one true God as a source of life. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 18, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Colossians chapter 3 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. What you set your mind on shapes your life. As you process about turning from idols to God, it's important to it's not a one and done situation. It's not just I did it one day and I've conquered it all. Actually, it's an everyday thing. Again and again. Picking up your cross daily. Dying to yourself daily. Following the one true God. Following Jesus and his word daily. Because we know that we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit and he's progressively shaping and changing our life day by day. And many of you all got testimonies. You can say, I, I, we, have, we, talk about, we talk to one another, and we say, I used to be this way. Or you say, as my wife will say, y'all don't know the old Miguel. Y'all don't know the Miguel I made. I don't know the old Miguel. Oh, I had some problems. I still got some problems. But I'm not what I used to be, though, because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so, therefore, I'm able to turn away from the idols because I'm resting in his strength. Because there's moments I'm weak. There are moments I get restless. There are moments I get frustrated. I get irritated. But when I don't take the time to slow down, to reorient my heart and remind myself who is in control or remember the goodness of God, even when things seem bleak, when I do those things, now we have a different outcome. It may not change the circumstance around me, but now I have a certain peace and I can move about a certain way because who God is and what he's done. God wants to renew your mind, family. By doing so, it allows him to merge his thoughts with our thoughts to bring about his plans for our life. Therefore, we can discern the will of God and we can do what is good, perfect, and acceptable, and perfect. Let us be a church. Hear me, family. Let us be a church full of disciples that are turning 
from idols to God as the source of our life and our joy. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you don't leave us by ourselves and you don't uh, leave it up to us on how to change. But yet by the power of your Holy Spirit, matter of fact, through, because of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to therefore be transformed, right, by our mind. So help us when we're restless. Help us, God, when we are impatient. Help us when um, we can't see in the wilderness. Help us when things are great and we forget. Father, help us to stay centered on you. Remind us that you are the source of life and that all joy comes from you, who is the life giver. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.